0: Welcome back. It's Tommy Canali, and this is Before the Lights Podcast, the show to find out how those in sports, music, and entertainment made their mark. Please go to our website, beforethelightspod.com, and follow us on Instagram at Before the Lights Pod. Time to get this show started, people. Go get yourself a coffee or grab a drink, whatever time of day it is, and tell your family, friends, neighbors. And yes, tell a stranger. It's time to have an in-depth conversation with our guests. Today, I have a special treat for you. If you like the Jersey Boys, then you're going to love today's show. We have not only one, but two members of a group that are winners of the Best of Las Vegas in 2017 and 2018. They have the motto of one family, one dream, one rockin' show. It's Vinny Adinolfi and his son Vinny Of The Bronx Wanderers. Gentlemen, how are you?
1: Hey, Tom, how are you? Thanks for having
0: us. Absolutely. This is going to be fun. It's going to be fun. I'm going to kind of go back and forth with you guys, and we're going to go back to memory lane and then kind of get to where we are today. But uh, Vinny, I want to start with you being the father and everything. And you were a gold record producer, label executive and publisher. Uh, You're with Cash West Productions at one time that produced Dion and then a PKM music Can you tell me where your love of music started as a young child?
1: Well, growing up in uh, the Bronx in our neighborhood, Dion came out of our neighborhood. And so it was one of those everybody knew who Dion was and every store you went and everywhere we went so it was a really big kind of thing but you know that was the guy you know and Mickey Mantle was down the block at Yankee Stadium but it's <laughs> like so who do you want to be? You want to be Mickey Mantle or you want to be Dion? And so it was one of those things where I just always wanted to be involved in music and I was just so fortunate coming out of that neighborhood that you know knowing him that he was with Cashman West and, and I was a teenager and I said I'd love to get a job in the record business and he said go see the these two guys tell them I sent you. And when I walked in and I said, Deon sent me, they were like, Yeah, right, get out of here. <laughs> and I like, no, 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 really, he sent me. So they literally made me sit down, they got him on the phone, they said, There's some kid here, said you sent him, give him a job. And he was really cool. He said, like, come on, give me a job. So they literally tested me and they gave me a job from eleven o'clock in the morning to twelve o'clock in the afternoon, one hour a day. <laughs> five hour, five days a week, but it literally took me an hour and a half to get there by train and an hour and a half to go home. And my first paycheck was something like, I don't know, $15, $16, you know, that I, that I have framed somewhere. And it was one of those they wanted to see how bad I really wanted this job. And then I started staying later and later. They know you're not getting paid. And I said, yeah, I know, but I want to be here. And they finally said, you know what? Fire the other kid, keep this kid. And the next thing you know, I worked my way up the ladder with them, you know, 20 years later, five years later, you know, I I was just all of a sudden I was like one of the guys that was one of their main guys. And I was just so lucky to be in the business at that point.
0: Vinay, I want to switch over to you now. Born into the family, basically, of music, would you have just a love of music at a young age being that your father was already in the business or were you somebody that maybe at first didn't want to get into this field?
2: Uh the cool thing about having them as parents were they never forced anything on me. They never like came to me and said you have to do piano lessons every week, you have to do guitar le-. They never made it like a job. It was always fun. So dad's office always had like 12 guitars on the wall. Yeah. And as a kid, I would sneak in and steal a different one every week and hope that he wouldn't notice that it's gone. <laughs> so I'm in my room and I'm learning how to play by myself and figuring things out. And I just thought it was an always a cool way to connect with my dad. And same thing with my brother. He would just go down to the basement, he'd get pots and pans and make a drum set. And he would drive them completely crazy. And I would do the same with my guitar amps. And little did we know all the gray hairs we caused in their head would be their 401k (laughs) later on in life. We're all trying to, you know, we're all trying to
1: succeed together.
0: Vinny, back to you. Where did you learn to play so many different instruments then?
1: I, it was one of those things where, you know, you just – you go in a studio and you pick up a guitar and you're playing. Well, first of all, to go back and be totally honest, it was one of those, you know, just walking around the neighborhood. I sold like, my soul to the devil. You, that, <laughs> you know, it was, it was one of those things where you walk around the neighborhood and you see the one guy. Playing the guitar in the schoolyard and there's like 10 girls around him and you go wait a minute now this could be a cool thing (laughs) you know and so it's like you know yeah i want to do that so it's like you pick up the guitar and you start doing that and then it's one of those when you're around people like you know terry cashman and tommy west who played piano played guitar played every instrument it was like I want to learn that part. I want to do that part. So you start doing that. And, and I was early, early on, more than anything, influenced by my dad, who kind of came home one night screaming at the top of his lungs that he had just saw an act the night before at the Copacabana with my mother in New York. And this one guy on stage played every instrument. And when he finally got to the end, where after he played the drums, the guitar, the violin, the piano, this, that, he did a ta-da, and he threw his hand out. And when he threw his hand out, they put a trumpet in it, and then he played the trumpet. And my father's like, oh, my God, this is the guy. you got to be this guy. And he wanted me and my brother to, to model the act that he had seen the night before, which was that guy and his brother. And who was that guy? Wayne Newton. Wow. It was Wayne Newton and his brother, Jerry. And it was just the most amazing, you know, circle of life thing where we finally got here to Las Vegas and we're put in a room at Bally's. And who is the guy we're getting to play in the same room with was Wayne Newton. And I couldn't wait to, like, tell him that my dad wanted me to be you. And it was the most, you know a thrilling thing.
2: Which is he- always nice when you walk up to a complete stranger and go, <laughs> my dad wanted me to become you. <laughs> so nice to meet you. i
1: Jim.
0: Right, exactly. <laughs>
1: Wayne is one of those guys where he just, he totally understood because he gets it all the time. You know, he totally got what I was talking about and we kind of formed this bond where he saw me going to work every day with the kids and, and as much as, you know, there's, there's always that thing are you enjoying the ride and it's like, No. And the answer why I say no is because I'm always afraid. You know, I I want to kind of pattern myself after Damocles, where the sword is always hanging over my head and I'm waiting for it to just come down and kill me. So I never know when this thing is going to end. You know, and if you look at our situation, so we get the best room in Harris, the best time slot, the best everything, hotels behind us. Damocles looks up, boom, sword comes down, virus. Sorry, guys, out of work. And it really is the truth. So I, I, you know, Wayne would constantly pull me aside and go, you all right? And i go. yeah. How are the kids? And I go, I, and and the, the amazing thing about a guy like him is I would say, you know, tonight I wasn't that good. And he goes, you know, he goes, yeah. And he totally agrees with me. Like he gets into where I'm going with it. So I said, you know, I should have did this. I should have said that I could have did this better. I could have did that better. And he said to me, I do the same thing every night. And that's, you know, that that's Wayne Newton icon, you know, could just walk out on a stage and really rest on his laurels. But yet he comes off stage saying, you know, hey, I should have did this. I should have did that. And and, you know, I I mean, the greatest experience of being here was every night after our show, he would go on at eight o'clock. I would just sit in the wings and watch him and and just a head tilt or a wink or or something he would do to the audience. It was like going to a university where you learn something every day. Yeah.
0: Vinay back to you. So who was one of your biggest influencers as a kid growing up in music? Who'd you look up to? He talked about Wayne Newton in his, in your grandfather. So who did you look up to?
2: I was definitely more into the, into the rock aspect of the world. I I was more into like the beach boys and the Beatles and, uh, and Jeff Lynn. I'm a huge ELO fan. I'm, I'm just, I'm a huge fan of songwriting. That's kind of like where my thing comes from. I remember being in a car with dad and the first time I heard God only knows, I got goosebumps all over my arm. And I just, I remember looking to him and said, you know, I want to do that. You know, he asked you what I want to do in life. Like I want to make someone feel what I just felt hearing through speakers. And you know, it's just, it's just air. And that's right. what that did to me, you know? So I'm a lost kid. I'm 32 years old trying to write songs <laughs> in a world full of rap and pop where the same five people write the same hundred songs you hear on the chart. And, uh, you know, Bronx Wanderers was kind of like my middle finger to the current world of music that, you know, I'm upset that that great music isn't still out there and that we're not writing songs like Hotel California and God Only Knows Anymore. You know, who is the next Led Zeppelin? I don't know. All the rock stars that I grew up to, like Green Day and Foo Fighters, they're all 55 years old. They're all his age. (laughs) And I'm trying to look up to rock guys. So it's like, who is going to be that next pendulum to swing
1: music back to
2: music? I'm hoping to be there for that. You
1: can't be like that because that's, that's an old guy looking at like my parents' generation or, or even my grandparents' generation and looking at the Beatles when Frank Sinatra was out going, That's not music. You know, and it and of course it was the greatest music like
2: Again you know, again th- the Beatles the-, the Beatles 40 years later can still be amazing with yesterday whereas the thong song I don't think 40 years from now <laughs> is going to be as monumental
1: but it's it's great music comes out of every generation and it's just you know kind of how you look at it
2: this generation um, kind of sucks that's where I'm at
0: you know I'm just,
1: it- <laughs>
2: that's
1: that's spoken like an old guy. Who's I'm 32 it. and I'm speaking like I'm 50.
0: You know, the one thing with music, I think it's each person and what they take to heart and what they value in music and what, as you said, gives them their goosebumps. And maybe the thong song gives somebody goosebumps. I don't know, but
1: it you, gives them a different you know, kind of bump. You know, right, right. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know, like Cash and West would always have this running kind of argument where. A good song is a good song, and you're never going to stop that. You know, if it's a good song in 1950, it's a good song in 60 and 70 and 80. And, you know, there was at one point we had an artist called Dean Friedman, and we put out Let's Hang On. And which was done, you know, twenty five years earlier, twenty years earlier, and it still broke the charts. Why? It's a good song, you know. Why do you still hear Frank Sinatra on the radio or seeing? You know, good music is good, and it will always break through. And you know, I, you know, last year I, w- I was so lucky here in Vegas to go see Paul McCartney, who, as a kid, I mean, that, that's one of the, you know the gods of music, you know, probably the greatest songwriter of the twentieth century. My mom hated it, and you know, <laughs> only because. You know, but only because he he basically, as a songwriter, does not. And I and I totally got this. You know, where Dion would always speak and go, you know, go out on stage and go, eh, you know, I want to do what I want to do, and he wouldn't want to just do Teenager in Love. And I wonder why and the Wanderer went around. So he wanted to show, hey, look, I'm still a vibrant artist. And Paul McCartney comes out on stage last year and he said, hey, look. When I look out and I see all the cameras flashing, I see it. I know. And basically, you're only doing that when I'm playing all the Beatles stuff and the other stuff. But look, I'm going to do my new stuff anyway. So there you go. And so my wife got all upset. And I said, no, you got to let him still be the artist and do his new material. Right. You know, it's just, you know, you can't stop good. And no. great is great. And, you know, being you know, being in a town where I'm across the street from Elton John and I'm across the street from Rod Stewart. I mean, these guys are great. These are the icons. These guys are great. And I just, I mean, I pinch myself that I could actually be going to work in the same town that they're working in. And I'm even mentioned in the same column or we're, we're working and we're mentioned, we're <laughs> now jobless.
0: <laughs> but that will def- that will change eventually. So I want to go back to not how the name, cause we're going to get to how the name came about, but where did the idea of getting a band together with your children come about?
1: So I was playing, you know, just, just so the fact that I wanted to never stop playing, I would always go out and play. I was playing on, uh, the weekends with, with, uh, with, I had my own band at that time. But at the same time, there was a guy that came over to me and said, you know, there's a guy in town that's Dion's music director. And I know you sound just like him. I'd like you to meet him. And I I said, yeah. Oh, and by the way, the Regents who had the big hit record, Barbara Ann way back in like 1963, uh, looking for a lead singer. I don't know if you're interested or not. I said, "Ah, what the hell do I got to lose? Let's go meet the guy. So I go to meet the guy. And meanwhile, the guy that I'm supposed to meet, (laughs) you know, typical, you know, if you know me, Don't, because I am the kiss of death. My nickname is the KOD. You know, I I am responsible for this pandemic. We we got our best room, best time, stop, best everything. Boom. I'm sorry. And I apologize to the world. It's my fault. I am the kiss of death. So kiss of death, the guy I'm supposed to meet has a heart attack on the way to meet me and never shows up. So I'm in this room waiting for this guy to show up. And the guy that's on stage is Dion's current music director at that time. And the guy, one of the guys that was just said, listen, this guy sounds just like Dion. Let him do a song with you. And I said, and he came off very like, hey, look, I don't let anybody sit in with me. And I kind of came off back. Hey, look, I don't sit in with anybody. I don't need to do your show. And then he lightened up and said, so what do you know? And so long story short, he brings me on stage. We start playing. And the next thing you know, we're playing together. And one night. The, and we're having a ball and all of a sudden we're like Dion's band without Dion, which was kind of bad, but it was good. Uh, the, kidney, the drummer gets a kidney stone attack. And I knew my son basically could play drums. That's my younger son. And I said, I know it's a long shot. We got a gig in an hour. The only guy I could reach out to is my eleven-year-old son. And it was Chaz Palminteri, who was the actor from *A Bronx Tale*, who was sitting in the audience, who came up to me and said, "You know, what are you? You know, with the fingers, what are you out of your mind? You know, what are you, an idiot? Take the kids, start a group, and do a retrospective of your career." And I never, and I said, Chaz, they're too young. One was 14, one was 11. It's not going to work. And we both came out of the same neighborhood in the Bronx. He said, listen to me, you do what I'm telling you. You name the group, The Wanderers, and you go out and start a group, do a tribute to Dion, you and your two kids. So we basically go out, and I think we started on a Friday and on as The Wanderers. And on Monday morning, I got sued by 11 companies. I get sued by the movie company that had the movie The Wanderers. I get sued by another group. From I said, the we're off to a great start. start. We've been, We've been around, around for 48 hours. hours. So I and we Chaz. kissed the whole world off so I pulled, Yeah, I called Chaz I said, listen, man, it's not working. I'm getting sued by everybody. Cease and desist orders left and right. You know, we're from the Bronx originally. I'm just going to call it The Bronx Wanderers. And he said, listen to me do it it'll work and he was right and nick, got- nick, nick came home that first night
2: with like 800 in tips wow. and i was working at pizza express and i said yeah i quit I'm going to do
0: that. <laughs> went from being pizza guy to i'm i'm in the band with with dad and, and my brother nicky and that's it and <laughs> we're going forward at 14 years old and so that's kind of how it started from there yeah, yeah. did you guys just keep playing right away or did you go off a little bit and practice and then come back and do a show from there
2: definitely weren't good
1: when we started
2: so, (laughs) So
1: so basically what happened was i originally went in the studio with a bunch of guys i had known and i said listen i need to create a band but make it be kind of a fake band where my kids will be on stage playing but i want everybody to like you know i need killer players so i got all studio guys that were main guys out of new york And we put together uh, like a 90 minute set to go out and actually work. And I put it on tape through a computer and I got a couple of guys that could basically play and follow along and, and carry it. And the kids kind of faked their way through where to this day, which is really so wild, 15 years later, like uncles of mine will come and go, so is Vinny really playing? I go, Well, 15 years ago when he was 11 years old, no, he wasn't. But now he'll like blow you away. Yeah. Now they're all, no, there's no tape anymore. Now they're playing. Because I came up, you know, as a 16 year old kid,
2: not being able to play, you know, like a crazy song and Mm -hmm. it it drives you to go in your room at 17 years old and learn that friggin' song. He -hmm. looks at me and goes, can you play the piano? I go, no. He goes, well, the band needs a piano player. I go, so what does that mean? I'm a guitar <laughs> player. He goes, you're going to start playing piano. I go, oh, really? Thanks for the heads up. So, you know, again, it took me five years to, like, learn, learn. And the next thing you know, I'm coming to him four years ago going, I want to do Bohemian Rhapsody. But, you know,
1: but, but, the blow, but the blow away kind of real, real killer blow away thing that makes it amazing is, so Ronna Luxembourg was the head of CBS Records along with Walter Yetnikoff. Back in the early, late 70s, early 80s. Ron was responsible for albums like Thriller by Michael Jackson, you know, Bad at a Hell by Meatloaf, you know, Boston's debut album, all of Billy Joel's stuff. This was like the guy at CBS, but he was also my former boss. So I bring him down one night to see us all these years later here in Las Vegas, and we do scenes from an Italian restaurant, and he pulls me aside and says, let me tell you, that kid is as good as Billy, if not you know, better, where I was there when Billy did that and wrote that and did that, you know. and I'm watching this young kid do it, and he patted me on the back, and I said, well, you were one of the guys that taught me, you can't stop good. And, and we were just so lucky that I never believed it would work, and here we are, it worked.
0: Vinny, I want to ask you. We used to work. <laughs> <used to> work. <laughs> Vinny, I want to ask you that first show. What do you remember about it? Were you nervous, excited, just happy to be there? Where were you at?
2: Like the first ever Bronx Wanderer show? Yes. Like in 2006.
0: 2006, correct.
2: We were at a restaurant. Rommelos. Rommelos. We were at a restaurant in Conjures, New, New York. York. I used to sit down back then. I used to sit and be well, a little well, piano band.
1: Right. <laughs> the, the, so the first show was in Hawthorne, New York, uh, which was really kind of great, where, where um, Spadafino's, Andy's Place. And the thing was, everything that could go wrong went wrong. And it gave me a good kind of, you know, recipe where we're in trouble. And I ran to my dad. And I said, I need like $5,000 right now. I really need to fix this and make this great. And he, w- he was gracious enough. He, he said, do what you got to do. Gives me the money. And I canceled all of our jobs. And we had one month to get our act together. And then we did the, the Romulo's job in Congress, New York. It's like, and we pulled it off. It's like anything in life.
2: I mean, I tell people when we're on stage, that's the only 90 minutes of the day that we're free. It's you're free from thinking, Mm -hmm. you're free from fighting, you're free from bills, you're free from life. You're just, you're there, you're looking out, you're seeing people smile you're seeing people happy and and you just look up, you're doing, and it's, the world is perfect. And then at the end of the night, when you go home and you realize I screwed this up, I screwed that up, I'm going to make this better. I'm going to make that better. It's like anything else in life, whether, whether you're a cook, whether you're, you know, anything, the more you do it, the better you're going to get. And early on, we knew that we loved each other. We loved the music that we were doing. And we loved the vibe that we were putting out there that people were able to go out and dance and have fun. Again, when we started, you know, DJing was was huge. We were one of the only live bands at the time. You know, yeah.
0: I used, I used to be I used <laughs> to be a DJ.
2: <laughs> no, I'm looking at him going, Dude, we got to like, gotta, We can't.
1: We can't be the best band in New Jersey. We have to be the best band in the country. Which we we still kind of follow that, you know, where we we never, I never, we're not good. We're good. But that's as far as I will ever take talking about us because we could be better. Whatever we're doing now could be better tomorrow and better the day after. And my favorite comment th- that I will always get is on a meeting greet line. And somebody said, you know, I saw you guys two years ago at a big festival or whatever. And why God, You guys were so much better tonight. And it's like, yes, Which means because, thanks. Because I'm that, glad I, I'm glad I sucked two years ago. You know, <laughs> but, but, that's, <laughs> but that's the whole thing. I mean, get better. And nothing gets me more excited then when I know somebody's coming that saw us at, at, at that restaurant in Congress, New York, you know, 16 years ago, you know, and, and, and now they're seeing us now. And it's like, whoa, not, where did this come from? And I was like, yeah, the kids 16 grew up. years of practice, you know, the kids grew up and, and, you know, playing seven days a week. You know, somebody, what would you guys ever rehearse? And it's like when you're playing seven days a week, you don't need to rehearse because, you know, every day you're playing. And so you, you can't help but get better every day because you're doing it every day. Yeah. And it just, it, it comes along.
0: Well, one I know you have a following because my mother is a huge fan. She wanted to make sure I told you guys both. Hello. She has CDs and no, T. I we mean,
1: love her. She's, She's got, got great taste. There's nothing worse than that than when some like hot chick comes walking up <laughs> to me and she'll go, I got to tell you, my mother would love
0: you,
1: <laughs> you for that two seconds that I'm standing there going, yeah, man, I still got it. It's like I realized done and over, out, old guy.
0: Right. You know? Oh, yeah. Then, she's got it all. T-shirt, CD. She, she's seen you guys many times. She's a big fan. But said I. I will. And w- part of your show is telling stories as you guys go. Was that always from the start or did that come as time went on?
1: Yeah, I mean one of those so I'm a, a incredible huge fan of people like Wayne Newton, Tony Orlando. Tom Jones, Engelbert uh, Humperdinck, Paul Anka, and there was a theater in New York called the Westchester Premier Theater, which, which is a notorious. The gangsters were running it, and uh, Sinatra took a legendary picture there with all the heads of the, you know, the uh, crime family, and it was you know broke out that it was a gangster joint. But all these major guys that were Vegas guys would play that one theater, and I would go see them, and they never just stood on stage. And played music you know when you go see you know paul mccartney doesn't have to talk you know he doesn't have to talk yeah i mean he just he's got so many songs boom he just does it and the beach boys the rolling stones they don't have to they did boom just go song to song and they don't really give you that full spectrum of entertainment because they number one they don't have to and they're just such great songwriters in their own right we're trying to fit in as many of our tunes as possible they do song to song but these other guys would give you a ninety-minute show where they, you know, they would tell you the whole story behind how this song came out, how I got to this place, how I got here. But it wasn't boring, too. You it know. was, it was, it's it was comedy. It you was know.
2: comedy. You know, sure. They thought, managed to make history into comedy into captivating you. And
1: so, yeah, he's, so. so he's so I wanted, to do that. I said, that. you know, I don't want to just be a song, song guy. And, and you know, you know, and it's always one of those things where you know I could turn and be like. Uh, you know, like like the, the ugliest person on the planet, ah, scream and yell at you. We're all, we'll play to 300 people, and I'll get that one guy that writes me and goes, You know what, man, you spoke too much tonight, too much talking, and, you know, should have been song to song. And I go, If that's what you want, you know, go see a jukebox, because that's not what we're about. You know, it, it's, didn't you hear me talk all night long? How this evolved? You know, the, the whole story behind the music is as you know, exciting and wonderful as the music we play. You know, the whole, the the tag that you brought at the beginning, you know, if you like the Jersey Boys, you'll like us. And there was a, a writer in town, Sam Wagmeister, that reviewed us and said, if you like the Jersey Boys, you'll love these guys. And the point was, we'll always get after a show. I like you guys better than the Jersey Boys. And it's an—it's never meant as a put down to any of the wonderful, wonderful actors and musicians that are the Jersey Boys cast all over the country. What happens is... You know, when you watch us, hey, we are the guys that went through the mud. You know, we are the guys that were told, no, the Bronx Wanderers won't work in Arkansas. It won't work in Louisiana. It's not going to work in the South. It's it's definitely not going to work in Texas. And you know what? We went out and played in front of all those audiences. You know what? It did work. You know, because, again, back to Cashman and West, you know, my initial University 101, good music is good music. So somebody in the South is not going to not like, you know, uh, Johnny be Good, as opposed to somebody in New York is going to like it. Everybody's going to like that song because it's a good song. How we present it and our story that we tell, people just kind of fall in love with the whole, you know, I love the family aspect.
2: And, you know, it was all about how we presented it, though, because you know, we didn't just want to be a, like a cover band. And I told, I, get- I told him I don't want to spend my 20s being in a cover band like I, if, we're, if we're gonna do this we have to create something that nobody else has yeah, right and we need to make our family be the focal point with the
1: music with with us killing each other right. you know like and, and you know and another thing we'll always get all the time is the music that I picked is music by artists that I had worked with so you know I was I was lucky enough to be in you know uh, involved with Columbia at the time, Billy Joel did scenes from an Italian restaurant. and we, And I was at the audition where we passed on him. You know Columbia's broken into two divisions uh Columbia Records and Epic Records yeah they passed on the and job. so so we you were, heard that right So we were on <laughs> they the got to be side.
0: kicking themselves so
1: we, were, we were on the epic side and Columbia had basically said you know we want Castro and West to produce them and put put him with a young producer and so I was at the audition and long story short you know our guys were so busy at that time and we were so involved but Jim Croce had just died and there were so many releases we were working on they said you know what he's an artist he's definitely going to be huge we don't have the time to take him they passed on him and some do artists that we worked with so we're not a cover band you know when, when somebody says why don't you do something by so and so i go because i didn't work with that person you know i wanted to be people i worked with yeah
0: and on that same concept you guys have something really cool and i'll let you guys explain a little bit but you have danny aiello do an intro that talks about where you guys came from and the whole bronx wanderers was that something you guys came up with, or did he come to you? How, how did that happen?
1: a great story. So Danny was from my neighborhood. And I knew Danny from the neighborhood, but only as the kid. I'm the kid. Hey, kid, how you doing? Hey, you know, I'm the hey kid. So I'm the kid. So years later, uh, when the band had started, we were playing a festival in Hoboken, New York, uh, which was Frank Sinatra's neighborhood. And Danny happened to be at the job. And he came up to me afterwards and he said, you know, I love the band. He goes, I'm going to be a big fan. And I said, hey, Mr. Ayello, don't you remember me a kid? It's kid. He goes, oh, kid, you grew up. So now we do the whole thing. And I said, no, no, no. I, I said, you don't know, from the neighborhood. He goes, oh, look at me, kid, this is great. He goes, you listen to me. I am now going to get behind you. I'm going to help you every way I can. And he did. The next night, playing literally 40 miles away, it's, a, it's roughly about an hour ride north in Westchester County, New York. And I get to the job and the guy behind yeah, at, the, at the door, one of the managers, said to me, you know, Danny Aiello? And I said, yeah, I know who he is. He said, well, not for nothing, but he called and he said he's coming tonight with like 10 people. And as we go to start, he walks in the room and goes, did I not or did I not tell you I'm involved? I'm here. I'm your guy. And the next thing you know, he gets behind us. And that promo video that we filmed, I mean – Think about what Oscar nominated motion picture movie star would put his career on the line, reputation on the line for an unproven, unknown band that has no hit record, thing behind it, and say, I'm Danny Aiello, and I'm telling you, these guys are the best. Go see him. I guarantee you'll have a ball. And so he does that for. He, there's a thing in New York. I, I have to tell a story. So the thing he did, York, he did that for nothing, by the nothing. way. Nothing. So there's a third
0: wow.
2: hours of shooting
1: in, in a day for now. We but be, we became his kids. I mean, and I and I literally was you know, uh, an, uh, of his family, I was like a son. And he, and he would call me all the time and go, you know, you're my kid. And I and I and I, I can't tell you how upset I was when he passed away. But so Danny, now uh, we were playing. There's a thing in New York called APAP, and once a year, all the great acts. Paul McCartney, Neil Diamond, Billy Joel, whoever you want to mention, they go to this thing called APAP. Now, they personally don't go. Their agents go. And all the theaters all across the United States go to this thing. And there's literally a Paul McCartney booth. And they go up and go, we want to hire him in Milwaukee. We want to hire him in Chicago. And they will put together a whole itinerary. So we are going there now to try and get work. And it's, it's roughly $500 to get in the door. And Danny says, I'm coming. And I said, Danny, you can't get in. It's why he goes, a kid. So we go to the thing, the thing, and he walks up to the door. And the guy goes, who are you? I guess, who am I? He goes, he goes Well, I'm here to see my kid. He goes, no, 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 you got to have a ticket. I remember, are, you, are you telling me I can't come in? The next day, he's screaming at the top of his lungs to his assistant. I'm Danny Aiello on this moron. It's like 45 <laughs> so people now gathering a crowd. <laughs> The guys around him. And the guy goes, go, go, go. They push him through. And he looks at me and goes, did I or did I not tell you I would get in? <laughs> so he gets in. And he takes me in a headlock. And he literally walks to every booth going, you see this kid? You see this kid? This is my kid. You better hire him. And we went from booth to booth. And every job early on in the Bronx Wanderers career came down to, you know what? If Danny I said you're good you must be good. And and I don't want to end it with just that because Danny was so pivotal behind us, but Tony Orlando was the artist that followed right behind that and said I want to help you guys. And Tony does our current promo where Tony brings us on stage every night. And again, Tony Orlando, millions of people, you know, had his own variety show every week and Millions of living rooms every week. He stands on stage and says, you know, take it from me, Tony Orlando. This is the greatest group I ever saw. You're gonna love them. And, and I mean, to get that, you just can't get that. And and in our current Vegas show, Chaz is in our current Vegas show, where Chaz comes on screen and says, Vinny, take the kids, start a group. And I Chaz, they're too young. It's the point very, is, the point is, we've had so many, major, so many, many influential
2: guys kind of reach down and, and pick Pull us up from the gutter. Yeah. And they kind of validated Danny,
1: Tony Orlando, um, uh, Chaz Baumontari, Wayne Wayne Newton. You know, Wayne, every night in his show in Las Vegas, Mr. Las Vegas, 190 shows in in Las Vegas. Wayne Newton, hey guys, if there's one show you need to see in town, go see the Bronx Wanderers. I mean, you know, and and, and I cry when, you know, the first time he said that, I was in the audience. I just started crying because I said, you know, I wish my father was here to see that, that, that guy, he came running home so excited that that was the greatest thing he ever saw on the planet. That guy is on stage telling people, go see his son. I like that you, you did that. That was very full circle. That <laughs> was know, but, really but nice. That, but that's what it is. I was like, that's a good
2: story. You know, that, that's, <laughs> what it <is>.
0: He's good. <laughs> He's good.
2: <laughs> that boy's good.
0: So let, let me ask you guys this. And going forward, you have a lot of influential people behind you that you just spoke about. But Where did the break come from? to become a headliner in Las Vegas. Cause obviously didn't start there as you guys started in New York and that area. But
2: it out that we added. said that we said to each other, I we're, said, we're, we're going to work the hardest out of anybody working. And me and me and Nick looked at him and said, you know, what the hell does that mean? No, so that he goes Christmas done. Birthday is probably done. Like we're going to go on the road, 250 days a year traveling. Yeah, but- and that's what we did. And he maxed out every credit card, we lost tons of money Not for good. years.
1: Tell the full story, So, the, a manager of mine at uh, Cash Rest Productions was a guy named Stan Nowak. And Stan would always say to me, you have to have a game plan. Any artist that's ever made it huge had a game plan. He goes, so let me give you an example. And he said, five years from now, you're going to be playing at Madison Square Garden. I said, okay. He says, so three years from now, there's a cancellation at Madison Square Garden. And they call you up and they say, do you want to play? What do you do? And I, of course, said, why? You take it. You're going to do it, right? And he goes, no, you're you're an idiot. He goes, because I told you the game plan is five years from now, you're going to be playing Madison Square Garden. So in that third year, you guys weren't ready yet. The act wasn't developed yet. You need to have a fully executed game plan. So the game plan was, and I told the kids, I want to be Wayne Newton. I want to be Paul Anka, Tom Jones, and that's Las Vegas, who back in the 70s and 80s, all my major acts that were major stars like Elton John, they scoffed at Las Vegas. That's Frank Sinatra. That's old people. You don't play there. And nobody would go there. Nobody would think of Vegas as Mecca. Well, I did. And I said to the kids, 15 year game plan. And they're like, what are you out of your mind? We're 15 years old. I said, first five years, we're going to work every show we could possibly work to put our name on the map on the East Coast. The next five years, we're going to lose and have the most miserable time playing in places like Canada, Montana, Washington State. Pocatello, Idaho. Nobody's going to know who you are, but I'm going to drag you and make us a national act and we're going to lose money. By the 10th year, the 11th year, when we go into the final five-year game plan, we're going to wind up as headliners in Las Vegas. And they all kind of looked at me like I was crazy. And there was a woman.
2: I was just looking forward to being a job where I never had to wake up. So I said, as long as I can get up at 11 12, noon, 12 noon,
1: two o'clock, in the world, bro. <laughs> and so basically, this wonderful woman called Abby Koffler saw us play one night uh, in Florida and said, I want to manage you and I can get you work in the Catskills and, and I can get you work all over the country. And so we signed a deal with her and she did. And she knew our current producers, Alan and Kathy Glitz, and said, I have a couple who produce shows that have a show in Las Vegas called Menopause the Musical. I'm going to get you to them and see if they could take you on. And she was instrumental in finally getting us to them. But again, it was a five-year process of them knocking on doors saying that, you know, I've got this group called the Broncos. Never heard of them. Never heard of them. You know, what hit record they have? They don't have one. Who are they? Never heard of them. So Vegas turned us down constantly. Abby got us a job with, oh God, and I bow to him every night. Michael Gaughan is one of the the influential guys of Las Vegas, like Steve Wynn. Michael owns the South Point. Michael is one of those guys that own a ton of of places here in uh, Las Vegas. Michael owned the South Point. Abby went and begged and got us a job at the South Point through Michael Gone and uh, Damian Costa. Damian was the music director at that time. And they gave this unknown group a shot, and the deal was this. We will give you the room, 400 seats, and we will not pay you. You will play here, and if you guys sell out and do well, we'll bring you back. And we played for three nights, 400 people a night, And I think I lost about $10,000 with the airfares, paying the musicians and making it happen. But we sold out those three nights and they turned around and said, we're going to bring you back. And they did. And that got us in the rotation of twice a year, we would come to Las Vegas. So they kind of knew who we were. And then again, circle of life thing, you know, Damien Costa becomes the entertainment director for Caesars. And he said to me, you know, what do you want? And I said, Damien, I want to work here. You know, five, six nights a week. I don't want to travel anymore. I, I want to be Wayne Newton. And he said, Vinny, tough sell. Nobody knows who you are. Nobody ever heard of you guys. I'll, I'll try. And between Damien, Alan and Kathy Glist and just Abby. Five, Abby, five years of begging, begging, begging. They said, we'll give you a shot. And what did they do? They put us in the same room as Wayne Newton. And then Wayne Newton, Mr. Las Vegas, takes us under his wing and starts running around saying, this is the go-to show. This is a throwback show to my era where the dad tells stories and you got to see these guys. And the rest is history. And, you know, thanks to Wayne Moore, Tony Orlando, Chaz Palminteri, Danny Aiello, Abby, Allen, and Kathy, here Me. we are. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. sons. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and that's that's a, a terrific story because you hear, and like you said, back in the day, Vegas was looked at as a place where artists went to go die. Basically, their careers were over, and they went there to fade away, and, and that was where they ended their careers. And it's completely a three hundred and sixty now, where now it's residencies and it's headliners all over the strip and those type of things. And people are coming on vacation around seeing groups because they want to make sure they can get tickets in advance when they come here. So things have changed. And to hear you talk about playing at South Point for three straight nights, no money, not getting paid, sell it out, losing $10,000 just to get your name out here in Las Vegas to where you are now is completely paid off. And if anybody out there doesn't think that you need hard work to make it in Vegas, you're sadly mistaken. And it's something that I have said for a long time, you know, I, I've lived here for a while now and I'm originally from the central part of Illinois. And I've had people ask me about Las Vegas and I'm like, they go, Hey, it's easy to get a job out there. I'm like, I don't care what industry you're in. It's not easy to get a job in Las Vegas. You have to come out and you have to work your tail off. Cause if you don't, everybody's coming here to find their, and they think they're going to make it big and everybody's trying to beat you, so no matter what your job is, you can never stop because if you do, some people pass you up.
2: You got to have your head on straight. I mean, you could you can get really tied into the gambling, the drinking, being out all night because it's it's like New York where it's a twenty four seven town. You, you 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 know, before this whole thing happened with the pandemic, you could go get a steak at four a.m. True, like I could drive ten minutes and go get a <laughs> steak. I love that because it's like New York. But again, you have you have to have your head on straight to. uh to to succeed here i guess it's anywhere
0: yeah let me ask you guys this how do you guys come up with your set list and who makes them is that a family decision is it one guy it's it's a fight do you guys argue about (laughs) what's what songs to put in your set list
1: it's 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 a perfect marriage between the two it will always come down to you know i will say to him yeah we'll do that because i worked with that guy and i'll put songs on the table and you know, he'll disagree. You know, the best part was when they were 11 and 12 was probably my favorite, you know, part of the band when he was 14, 15, and 16. Because no matter what I said, it was, yes, dad. <laughs> and, and it's now another gone 360, no matter what I say, no, dad, no, dad. He used to be dad.
2: really no, good at dad. his job. No, now he's just gone
1: kind of way downhill. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, dad. You, you don't know what <laughs> You're <laughs> an idiot, dad. Listen. And so, so we fight, you know, left and right over, You know, things like that. But, but, you know, so my, my two givens were, okay, so let's create a a situation where the kids are tortured because they're stuck with the old guy. So let let them do something from their generation, which they do. And then it was um, years ago, he had come, Vinny had come to me and said, I want to do this song. And I go, look, I have nothing to do with that song, nothing to do with that group. I don't want to do it. And then it was one of those epiphany kind of moments where you go, wait a minute now, if we could pull this off and do this better than anybody, this could be a really good thing. And so we wound up doing it. And now it turns out that it was Bohemian Rhapsody, you know, five years before the movie came out, five years before anybody would think of Queen. And so we were doing it before anybody was doing it. And now when the movie hit, and it's like, oh, my God, these guys are great. Oh, You know, and it's like, yeah, but, you know, but luckily we're doing it five years. You're
2: welcome. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, 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 you know, uh, that, that's why it works, though, yeah. man, because, you know, I'll never say that we're like Lennon and McCartney, but it's it's the fact that he knows how to bridge the older generation and I know how to bring in the younger generation. yeah, And that's how we're able to do Uptown Funk and a Coldplay song and a Queen song. And you know, since I got to open for Bon Jovi last year, now we get we can do a Bon Jovi song because now it can be people that I worked with in my career that we can tie into the band. You know, full circle thing. This is called the full circle interview. That's what we're going to call this interview. <laughs> exactly. Because every story has managed to go full circle back into itself.
0: Correct. I got I got one more question for you, and then one quick question. But the the longer one is. No, Take away
2: not wearing pants right
0: now. <laughs> <laughs> Take away, <laughs> that's good. Take away the whole virus situation where everything shut down. And before that, what was the ch- what's your challenge nowadays in trying to continue to grow?
2: Being known, we were the only show on the strip that doesn't have a TV show. Every other show has a TV show. Matt Franco, One America's Got Talent, Shin Limit Mirage, One America's Got Talent, Terry Fader, Boom, TV. Everybody's got a TV thing.
1: And if they're not, they're a major star that's that's had major releases. So we We, are are the the only
2: unknown underdog on the entire strip. And we're ranked in, in the top 10 out of 194 shows.
0: That's telling you something you know, right there.
1: Was Danny Gantz was the guy. You know, when you came out here in the 80s and you saw Danny Gans or the 90s, say that name in New York or Illinois or, you know, Florida, never heard of him. But you go to Las Vegas, that was the guy. And he had no hit record. He had no big thing. And I said to the kids, so that's who we're going to model Vegas after.
2: You know, so I always say the biggest uh, hurdle forward for us is we need national attention. We need a TV show. We need a reality show. You know, how cool would it have been if like, you know, we were, we were tiger King, you know, oh, I don't joke around with dad going, dude, we need to buy some Jaguars, man. We <laughs> need to like, that's what the world wants. They want crazy out there stuff. So we're in talks with a few people now to hopefully maybe get a own show. Bronx Wanderers, like a TV show. Never heard of the Bronx Wanderers.
0: I mean, as you're talking guys, hopefully you guys get some kind of TV show and as an Italian myself and from an Italian family, Italians support Italians. And if there's going to be a show we're going to watch. So the last thing I want to talk about before I let you guys go is you right now have five CDs out and available for people to purchase at the dot And before I ask the last question for those guys, go to our show notes and they'll I'll have links to how you can get in touch with these guys and get their merchandise and all that kind of stuff. But any plans right now for either something, another CD or original music by you, Vinay, or where's that plans at?
2: All of the above. Right now, we're in the middle of working on the uh, the sixth album. We're we're putting the songs together. My brother, Nick, is going to be doing drums uh, this week. Maybe. We're doing this entire album without any of us being in the same room. So Nick is doing drums at his place. The bass player is doing bass at his place. The guitar player is doing guitar there. And we're all just sending the album to each other when it comes to us. Uh, So that's going to be out soon. We're doing a streaming thing where we kind of got wind that the whole world was going to stop the week of March 10th. We heard rumbling. So like the governor will talk to the Caesars executives and MGM executives and say – look, this is going to get really bad. We may shut down. So when we heard that, we said, let's do a three-camera shoot. Let's shoot a show in Harris." And God forbid we're out of work for a month or two months. We could sell this and get by. So luckily, the last night, March 15th, we filmed a three-camera shoot of our Las Vegas show, which uh, will be the first one that we'll release in three years. So that should be out in, in a week or two. Fantastic. Uh, I'm working on my own stuff uh, right now. We're doing an acoustic album and an original album. Basically, the whole world is off for 45 days. I've never worked so much in, in 20 days. So, <laughs> so even though everybody's off, I'm not really off. But again, it's music. I love doing what I do. And uh, I can't wait to show everybody what yeah, we're doing. I mean,
1: I mean the, the new album basically comes down. For me, this album is going to be in my own mind titled Songs I Always Wanted to Sing. And so there's a a whole bunch of of, of artists and songs that I always kind of looked at. You can imagine
2: the fighting that has ensued.
1: So, you know, I want to do that song. What does it have to do with, you know, this is my wife and I arguing. What does it have to do with the Bronx Wanderers? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I always wanted to do that song. I want to do that song. So it's, and I'll record it. I'm one of the worst, uh, where it'll come down to, I'll record 20 things. And if I record 20 things, I'll like five. And when I say like five, that means I'll tolerate five and I'll throw 15 away. So I'm always the reason why we don't do more. We don't finish it. on time because I just, I'm never happy. I'm never happy with the way I sound. I I did this, did this. So we're going to, we're going to
2: write you yeah. when it comes out. We'll send you, the, we'll send you one of the first copies. Still.
0: That'd be great. Guys. Hey, I really greatly appreciate it. this has been fun. I mean, we could do this over a bottle over a bottle of vino anytime i can do it in my underwear up there <laughs> we can Any, do this anytime
1: i can get up and go to the bathroom or come back this is great
0: that's all right that's right gentlemen everybody ladies gentlemen kids everybody out there listening go to the bronxwanderers.com once again go to the show notes on the website We'll get you hooked up with them guys and you can get CDs and merch and their schedule will come back and people will get back to whatever maybe our new norm is. But thanks for taking time to be on the show. Everybody, please review and rate the show on Apple podcast. It really helps me grow my show. If you'd like to have your name shouted out on the show, well, you're going to, have to find that information out on our website. Go to the Instagram at before the lights pod. Thank you for listening. I'm Tommy Canale and we will talk to you next time. Until then, be safe and stay healthy.